everyone. I hope you had a great, uh, having a great holiday season. Not stuck in Black Friday. I appreciate you guys surviving that. I had some stories last week about that. And Black Friday was vicious. There was a, a woman who uh, tasered somebody. It was quite uh, a sight to see there. Cat fight. Uh, we're doing a Christmas series. If you're with us, uh, most of you guys weren't here last week, so I'm going to do a little bit of a rerun of last week a little bit because I have my maps now, and it's better study of the Bible when you have your maps. And uh, there was a promise long ago by God to save us from ourselves. You know, a lot of times you save your children from themselves many times. If you've been a parent, you've raised kids, you know this concept. You are constantly figuring out how to rescue your kids from danger, stranger danger, all the facets of trying to protect your, you know, your next of kin. God feels the same way with us. He has made us, He created us, but He, but also at the same time He gave us His free will, this choice, and we made a mess of things. And so God knew that and understood that our nature of choosing Him in a relationship was huge. So to save us and to and to rescue us from ourselves. He made a promise a long time ago to humanity that He would one day redeem us. And that came out in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve were living in perfection and living amongst God, with God, in His presence. And Adam and Eve ate from the tree, it was disobedience, and so uh, he, uh, he has to food them out of, the, out of the garden, out of His presence, because they are now um, you know, um, filled with the, the state of a sinful nature or sin. And we all have that. We all have a propensity to do good, but we also have the propensity to do bad. That's in our nature. It's called the sinful nature. There's a good part of us that we want to do good things, like Roland said, we want to be good, but also there's some bad things we do, even when we're a happy drunk. Yeah. Right? Bad things, right? Yeah. So he says, I will put enmity. He's talking to, um, he's talking to, to, to Satan here. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He's referring to the future of the, the person that's going to save is him. God is going to come down in the flesh. This person is going to come down and defeat Satan and defeat the powers of darkness and defeat the depression that has captivated our world. People are looking for happiness and joy and they cannot find it. And so... He will crush the head of the snake, but yet He will strike the heels. He will strike us as we try to live for Him. He's not going to be an angel, but He will be a man. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 7, uh, this is uh, 700 uh, B.C., uh, it talks about a futuristic uh, house and a a king and and a savior that's going to come to the world. And it says, Here now, this is Isaiah the prophet talking, Here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of human beings? Will you try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Or, in other words, God with us. That's what it means. God is literally among us. And it's a very, very new teaching, because in the ancient Greek mythology, the, the gods didn't really want to have a relationship with the humans. They, were, they only used you for certain things. This, this kind of teaching is that God is going to send Himself down for us, to be with us, 
to walk with us and also to save us. It's not going to be an angel, but it's going to be in a, in a form of a man. Because a woman will give birth to the Savior of the world. Now, it's interesting. The promise was that it had to be in an exact location. When you, when you make a promise and you, and you veer off the promise to your kids, they catch you every time, don't they? Uh, yeah. That's not what you said, Dad. You think verbatimly, they forget everything else. But when you make a promise, they remember your words exactly. It's amazing how kids do that. Yeah. They get C's in school, but A's are remembering the promise. Right? <laughs> it all works. So when you make a promise to someone, it has to be exactly correct, or else you've broken your promise. Ever had a promise broken? If you've been around long enough in our society, someone has broken a promise to you, and, you, and you're like, oh man, that's a bummer. Why did you break your promise? This promise is that the, the Savior, or the new King, or the one who's God come down from heaven, He's got to be born. He's going to be born a virgin. He's got to be born in the exact place that this prophecy in Micah, hundreds of years prior, to see if it's true. So as for you, he's talking about the area of Bethlehem, Ephrata, seemingly insignificant among the clans of Judah, the lower part of the area, I'm going to show you a map in a second, from you a king will emerge who will rule over Israel on my behalf, and whose origins are from eternity. Wow. So this person that's going to come down from heaven, his origins are not of earth. They are from eternal, eternity. So the exact location is important to the promise. And so this is one of the reasons why the, the teachers of the law and the elders didn't believe in Jesus because they thought Jesus was from Nazareth. He was from Nazareth. That's where he was from. That's where his ministry started. So they didn't realize that there was actually going to be a birth in Bethlehem of a Savior. And he was born there. But here is the interesting part. Archaeologists have discovered not just one Bethlehem, but two. And the one in the north, actually it's in the book of Judges, it was called the Bethlehem of Zebulun. And this Bethlehem was only six miles away from where Jesus and, I'm sorry, Joseph and Mary were, were wed. Six miles away. And then the government says, hey, in Luke, I'm going to take a look here in a little bit. The government tells them to come down and, and, and go down to Bethlehem. There's going to be a little controversy there, but I'm, I'm going to share something in a second. This is not a new concept, that there's two Bethlehems. There's five Marquettes. The United States. There's Paris, Texas. There's Paris, France. This is not a new, like, oh my gosh, there's two Bethlehem. No, it's all over the United States. You should Google it. Right, yeah. It happens all the time. So archaeologists will discover 10,000 years later, they say, well, I found five Marquettes. Yes, there's five Marquettes. Michigan, Wisconsin, Kansas, Nebraska, and Iowa. Two Bethlehems. One in Zebulun and one in Judah. So that's why Micah's prophecy is so important. Because he said not only Bethlehem, but Ephrata was in exactly the southern part near Jerusalem. So the promise had to be exact, and the promise needed to be fulfilled, and God makes sure he does. Now here's what's interesting about this Bethlehem city. This is one of your Bible. 
If you go to the book of Ruth, this is where Ruth marries Boaz. Remember Boaz? He was from Bethlehem, and he had a, and he marries Ruth, and Ruth was Naomi's friend, right? He came over, and she wasn't even a, a Jewish person, but he marries her. And so Rachel died. Uh, that's Jacob's wife died and was buried in Bethlehem. So that's a kind of a, a history of, on the city of Bethlehem, or the little town of Bethlehem. This is where King David was born. Now, the Savior would come from the house of David, so it's important that it was, it was the southern location, not the northern location. It's also, Bethlehem means the house of bread, but it literally, literally means the house of bread, but also Jesus also says in John 6, I am the bread of life. It's kind of interesting little wordplay there, but uh, Bethlehem has a lot of rich history in the southern part. Here is the map of Nazareth. There is the city right there, my little red dot, and there is Bethlehem. And, you know, what you don't see here, look at the scale here, 0 to 30 miles. See that little scale there? Can you guys see that little scale? Yeah. So you take that, and you kind of line it up with Nazareth to Bethlehem, and you got about 60 to 70 miles, but you have hill country. There's hills there, right? Look at all that, up and down, up and down. You thought the grade was bad. Look at that. Yeah. You're struggling with the grade there. Now, here's the interesting part. At that time, the Roman Emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman world. Now, some of us, we can get into politics. And this is a political maneuver by the Roman Emperor Augustus because Rome wanted their money. The whole system of Rome was to make sure they got your money. Now, I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about the Roman Emperor Augustus he had a system and he designed it for political gain. That's important. Because no matter your politics, God, His will, always prevails. That's right. So here's the Roman Emperor. He says, you know what? I want everyone to return to their ancestral towns to register so they can get the exact person, exact city, so they can tax you the right amount. That's important. This was the first census taken from Quirinius when he was the governor of Syria. So, guess what that means? Here's Nazareth, and there's Bethlehem. Wow. There it is again. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The scripture here. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in the Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. Think about that for a moment. Think about the geography. Think about the pregnancy. Ten months, nine months. I mean, you can't even go to in Alberta. <laughs> and yet, here is Mary. And the easy way out Go local. Let's keep it local. Why go down there? And it, this is the kind of quality of people they were. It speaks so much to Joseph and Mary, the quality of character, the quality of maturity, the quality of spirituality, that God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come through human origins, so to speak, through a birth of a woman, and, and also that with that comes with the, that emotion of a woman, can you imagine 10 months where you would go, let's go to Los Angeles, honey, and let's walk there. 
No, let's go to Santa Barbara, honey, and let's walk there. I mean, some of you women in this room would not move a, 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 just an inch going, I'm pregnant, honey. And here's Mary. Just to be taxed just a little bit more. You can make an argument going, it was about politics, I ain't moving anywhere. And we get lost in politics. But they were focused on the will of God. The angel came to her and says, you know, you're going to give birth. And so this was a way that God used them to go down into Bethlehem, down into that little city, down there, and to be born. Now, what's interesting, and I'm going to share this next week, was that, you know, people that showed up to the manger will surprise you. So some people that actually weren't there, who, who, the, who our culture claims to be there, which is interesting, but I'll show that with you next week. It's an interesting study on, on the Magi. So, here we go. So, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. You know, another, just an interesting part of our, their culture and our culture there is a deep-rooted selfishness when you see when you, when you see the story of Mary coming down pregnant. She goes to the end, she's about to have a baby, and they say, no, there's no room for you. Can you imagine that? You're going to have to give birth to a child, and they won't even let you in the end. I'm, not, I'm pretty certain that not every woman in the end was bearing child. And yet they would not let her in. They would not let her in. And there is a deep-rooted selfishness in our culture here, and same as back then. There is no room. And people in our culture today, when it comes to Christmas, it's more about the tree. It's more about the gifts. It's more about going to the mall. It's more about seeing family than it is about Jesus. And that's just our culture. If we tilt that way, we end up that way. And my question to you is, are you going to make room for Jesus in your life during the holidays? Are you going to open the ancient scriptures? Are you going to read and study a book out and get close to God? As Roland said this morning, how that scripture just kind of it just hits you going, I want to be with God. I want to see His face one day. Amen. I hope that you want to open your Bibles this holiday season and not wait till January 1 to make a resolution to become uh, a person that's reading their Bibles. Make room for Jesus. The inn was full of people. Pregnant Mary was not given a bed because there is selfishness there and now. You know, the manger is a pretty uninhabitable environment. You know, we go to the hospitals when we're sick and they wipe down everything. Everything, it's so wiped out, it kind of smells funny. Like it smells because everyone's always wiping stuff down, right? You go to the manger, there are animals. Now, if you own an animal, I own two dogs. And if you don't vacuum every single day, there's hair coming up to your kneecaps. Hair's everywhere. Hair's on your clothes. It's disgusting. And then when they drink water, they slobber the water everywhere on the floor. It's like, can't you just stay there and slobber in the back of the bowl and come up? No, they don't do that. They go outside, they go in the backyard, and they, and they step on their, own, on their own feces, and they go, can I come in? Can I? No, you can't come in this house. Because you see all the smushed feces in the backyard going, don't they realize this is disgusting? 
he imagined the animals that are not as domesticated as a dog. Can you imagine what's in there? The owner, you know, if you don't take, if I don't wake up early and I take my dogs out for a potty, guess where they go potty? In the house. And there's no shame. None. Many times I walk to the kitchen to get my coffee, and I thought that the water from the fridge leaked. I look at the fridge, I go, oh, it must have leaked. I look a little closer. It was not the refrigerator. Many a days, disgusting, outside of the elements. The outside elements. There, there is no heater system. There is no, like what we have in here, it's cold outside, it's warm outside. They had no AC, nothing. It was just humble beginnings for, for God to come down and save us. This is why those who are not humble will never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, if you don't become like a child, you will never make it. And here is Jesus himself. Humble beginnings as a king coming down to earth, being unaccepted in a manger, being born among animals, being outside in a trough of water. This is where he was born. And for us to have the audacity to be prideful and arrogant, he says, you will not make it if you are not humble. That's a pretty declaring words because it's, it's supposed to challenge you to look at his example of humility. Look at his example. It's an amazing example. And I want to encourage you to be humble. Be humble to God. Be humble to the scriptures because they will guide you to life. So in 1 Timothy 3, this is the understanding of God coming down in human form. Beyond all question, this is Paul writing to Timothy, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared, referring to Jesus, referring to God, he appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. There was such a mystery of the Savior because no one expected Him to come from these humble origins. No one expected that. They wanted a conqueror. They wanted a ruler. The, the Old Testament was clear that a ruler will come out of Bethlehem. A ruler will come. And in the Jewish mind, that meant I will, I, I'm going to have a ruler that's going to overthrow Rome and we're going to go back to the dynasty of David and have a kingdom again. But that's not what God did. God made sure that there was humble beginnings from the very beginning. And this was the mystery that God would come down in a human body, be vindicated by the Spirit, be seen by angels, <clears throat> preached among the nations, believed in the world, and then taken up in glory. Amazing. Then there were these shepherd guys who were around. And these guys were pretty cool. Let's look what the Bible says about them. And then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Now, quote the words living. Think about fields. Think about the field near your house. And think about living outside in those fields. Okay? What do we call those people? Homeless and vagabonds, right? Those guys are out there. We know they are, oh my gosh. They're living out in the field. They had a very low position in society. They missed out on a lot of stuff because they were unclean. Always out of hand dirty. 
keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. You know, I love how God shows himself to the humble, to the lowest in society. Not the highest, but the lowest. And the glory of the Lord shone on them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. The reason why the angel says that is because they're afraid. If you've seen an angel, you'd be scared too. Amen. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That's interesting wording. Because the Jews thought he's the king of the Jews. Not the king of the Gentiles. And that's where a lot of people got stuck. If you read the book of Jonah, you will understand how deep this prejudice lies. Jonah was told by God to go preach his message to the Gentiles, and Jonah says, no, I am not going there, because the good news is not for them, it's for us. So God has to get a big old fish, swallow them up, spit them out, throw them out there. He goes, fine, I'll do it. And these Gentiles repent. He goes, I knew they would repent. That's why I didn't want to come here in the first place. (laughs) That's how deep the bigotry was. And the statement that the angel makes is profound. Because he says, it's for all people. It's for every nation. It's for all of humanity. Just think about the people that you are willing to invite them to, to, to church or the good news or your house. Think about the people that you would try to invite. Do you invite the lowly and the mighty? A lot of times we only invite people that are kind of in our social status. Poor people, usually invite poor people. Healthy people, you invite health, wealthy people. It's kind of our society. It's, it's kind of geared like that. It's a caste system. This is for all people. You know, when I was in college, one of the guys in our ministry, he, you know, if there was talents, 1 to 10, he probably had 1.5. Great brother. Heart of gold, just not very, you know, on the outside, not very talented. Great brother. He brings to church starting center of our Cal Poly basketball team. So all the all the all the higher town guys are trying to get there. Well, I better get there and relate to this guy. Because this guy definitely needs a multi-talented brother to help him become a Christian. So, but what's interesting is that the basketball player was so bonded to the brother. His name was Willie. And Willie did all this stuff. And Willie baptized him. And it was amazing. And I was like, how come I don't bring anyone to church like that? <laughs> you know, because it's about the heart. How humble are we? And for Willie to share with him, and I was in, I was in the sports department. That was kind of my area. <laughs> Playing soccer. I knew a lot of these guys. I'm like, he didn't come to Bible talk when I invited him. <laughs> but when Willie invited him, he came and started the Bible, and it was amazing. It says a lot about where I was at. Because sometimes I think we rely so much on our, hey, how am I going to come across? Do I look Christian enough? Am I dressed Christian enough? Is my breath Christian enough? (laughs) How am I going to come across? I mean, it's so worried about how we're going to present the good news. 
that we we we're so selective, and so many people. It's because it's for all. They need to be invited to something. Okay. Today in the town, a Savior was born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord. These guys are just shocked that they were invited to the party. Everyone's shocking when you're invited to a party that you don't belong to. I mean, these guys are like, what? You want us? I mean, these guys are they're out there dirty. They're unclean. They're out in the field. They're out in the mush. And they're, they're getting invited to come and see the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. What, are, what an invitation. Yeah. What a personal invitation. These men were very practical. They, they weren't involved in a lot of temple, temple stuff because they were always out there preparing some of the sacrifices for the temple. These guys had, had it pretty rough. But they were wise, practical guys. They, it wasn't like they were known to see, was that a UFO? But these aren't those kind of guys. <laughs> these are very practical guys. They're not like into, into, into some weird... Was that, you know, they, they, they know the, the earth and how it rotates. They know all this stuff. They, these guys are smart guys. They're not like dumb guys. So it's not like they saw a, 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 an, a, an illusion of an angel. They saw an angel. So in Luke verse 12, 2 verse 12, it says, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is what they will see. And so suddenly... After they heard that, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom His favor rests. Amen. You know, the Bible has a lot of descriptions of heavenly hosts. There's cherubim, seraphim, there's all kinds of winged and four-faced and eagles, and all kinds of, you know, those things, when I read that in the Bible, they scare me. So if I'm out there and they see all these heavenly hosts, I'm not sure I would have moved for three days. I would have been in such catatonic state. I don't know what I would have done. But these men, like I said, they go. And when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. You think? Yeah. And let's see this thing that has happened about which the Lord has told us about. You know, the shepherds, they made room in their lives for Jesus. Amen. They, they took some time away from the fields to, to go and see Jesus. Are you going to take time away from your field to go and see Jesus with your own eyes in the Word of God, in the Scriptures? I'd encourage you to do that. To take time away from the field and make room for the Lord. Because if you're going to celebrate His birth and not spend time with the Lord, it's just hypocritical Amen. to celebrate and not know Him. But we do it all the time. I grew up in church where I was going to Christmas service and Easter, and I was good. But I wasn't good. I was messed up. And so when I became a Christian, I wanted to make room for Jesus throughout the whole year, not just a Christmas event. This is not a year about coupons. This is not a year about the day after Christmas sale. This is a season about the Savior. And if you really want to know more about Him, open your Bible and study Him. Open a Bible dictionary and learn some facts. Google it. Google Jesus. There's a lot of good stuff on it. Too much for I can tell you today. 
So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Here's what's cool about the shepherds. They took time away from their fields. They got to see baby Jesus, the king. And then they went out and spread the word concerning what they saw. You know, many times we become Christians and we, we start spreading the word and then we stop spreading the word. Amen. Oh, I did it last year. I did it for two years straight. And we stop spreading the word concerning the child or Jesus. Because it's for all people. Until we have reached every soul, every person. That's when we can stop. Amen. Bible does say when, when all the nations have heard, then the end will come. So we have to get about the, the helping people know and spreading the word. It starts with your family, with your children, with your wife, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your friends, over at Starbucks, over at Bonds and Ralphs. And it starts everywhere. AYSO, soccer organizations. It's everywhere. Amen. Everywhere they're there. Spread the word. Because when they do it and they, and they look at the Bible... They will be amazed at what they learn. Amen. They will be amazed. You've got to make room for Jesus. You've got to make room for Him in your life. Here's who was not at, at, the, at the manger. That's not in this account. The people that were not there were the Magi. As you would know them, the three wise men. They were not at the manger scene. Even though your Christmas card says they were... The Bible says yep. they weren't. Okay? And next week, we're going to talk about the Magi and who were they? They came from the East, but who are these mysterious men that traveled all this way to come and see the Savior? But for us this morning, I want you to leave with one thing. Make room for Jesus Amen. in your life. Thank you for your time. Amen. Have a great afternoon. Amen.